0: This is a more than just podcast production.
1: Welcome to this podcast, season four, episode 36. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Greetings, peoples. And we also have down there in Seattle, up there, up there in Seattle, he's north of us, actually. In Seattle, Washington, we have
2: Jaime Lopez Jr. How's it going? Yeah, for the, the you know, fun with maps thing. We talked about mm. this once, I think, that there are more Americans living north of Canadians or something like that. North of Toronto. Yeah, it's like Toronto is uh, a pretty heavy yeah. center for... Yeah, we're okay. like
1: three, three 3.5 million or something, 3.8 million, something like that in the GTA, John, do you know?
2: In the GTA,
3: it's actually closer to 11 or 12 million across the entire GTA. It's a third of the population yeah. of the entire country lives in this one area. Yeah, yeah. So I guess your your stat is correct there, I mean. But then yeah. what we consider large and what Americans consider large are are all relative because... There are much more large and populous cities in, in America, at least one per state, and we only have, like, three large cities by American standards.
1: Yeah. Well, they have to do something with all those pennies, right? So That's right. That's right. <laughs> all Um Well, no fact checks. We were just perfect last week. Can't imagine that. But there we go. We were. Um, so I'll we'll head to the headlines with Jonathan
3: Yeah, so uh, we had talked about this in a previous episode, but now we've got a little bit of timing on it so we talked about the fact that Star Trek the motion picture was going to get a, a fancy 4k redo that was going to be coming out this year we found out about that last year but uh, they hadn't really put a timeline to it we know it was coming to Paramount Plus so this week we got the news that we have a date and we have uh, all, lots of information with it so Star Trek the motion picture dash the director's edition is making its debut exclusively on Paramount Plus on April 5th, 2022. And April 5th is. I don't know. It's First Contact Day. Oh. That's oh, the day it? that mm. uh, Zephyrm Cochran flies into space and meets the, the Vulcans. Like in 2022 or 2020. Yeah. No, no, not 2022, but uh, April oh. 5th is the date. Oh, okay, I
1: got excited there for a minute. No, no, the there,
3: we have to have World War III first. Don't worry, that'll be coming next week. Um, yeah. So, apparently it is, uh, yes, available to stream exclusively on Paramount Plus in 4K Ultra HD. The newly restored film, according to Star StarTrek.com, uh, will be coming later this year on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray in September. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, going to be also coming to theaters. Now, I don't know whether it's coming to Canada. It says it's coming via Fathom Events and Paramount Pictures, an exclusive two-day event on May 22nd and May 25th. Tickets go on sale Friday, April 8th at fathomevents.com. tickets? What? You can see it. This restored version, the director's in the edition, in the theaters. If you want to sit there and watch "Models of the Enterprise" for ten straight minutes, <laughs> and
1: well, it, I mean, but it's a director's cut. Like, isn't it? Wasn't that part of the problem? Was it the, the studio made it longer than the director actually wanted? Like, isn't this? Are we like getting a real like
3: director's edit? Well, okay. So the story says in 2001 director Robert Wise revisited the film to refine the edit and enhance the visual effects. His updated vision was released on DVD in standard definition and embraced by the fans, but it's never been available in higher definition till now. So this is an edition that we could have seen before uh, meticulously assembled, I love the words. Um yeah, scanned from the original film and yeah. You know, yeah, the whole the whole nine yards, but Basically, what happened was, it says, The film successfully launched the Star Trek franchise beyond the original television series, despite having been rushed to theaters with incomplete special effects and forced editing choices. So, I guess when he went back into it, what he did was, he cleaned up the visual effects, and he cleaned up some of the incongruities, because they were trying to edit it so quickly. I don't think it's significantly shorter. So there's okay. still the ten minute. Uh, let's all get you know excited over seeing the Enterprise, enterprise from forty seven for different in angles and twenty seven years, yeah, yeah, and the excruciatingly and long spot and goes into the, the rug space. No, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 still going to be the same movie, which is to say, not good, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's nice, obviously, to have that sort of uh, you know Jaime, you've talked about that a bunch of times, just the the upscaling that is long overdue for some of these projects. So it'll be nice to have that one available. I suppose, but you know, I, I did when we bought the ten
1: ten uh, set, ten disc set or whatever it was, ten movie set on iTunes mm. what, last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. I watched it, and and I don't, I'm I'm gonna wait another ten years before I watch that again. i you know what? That said, I'll probably will watch this stupid movie anyway, but. Just to, I mean, the the trailer does make it look like prettier. <laughs> but, so, so know.
3: here's here's something to sort of possibly push you towards going and seeing it when they show it in the theater. If it's if it's coming oh, here, no, no, not the not the no, theater, no, 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 in the, the theaters, theater. because uh, Xavier's never seen this movie. Oh, not, yeah, that's true. Not well, ever. so so
1: will we have um, will we have a Slave Girls rub our feet while we watch it? I mean, like I, yeah, only... I imagine we'd have to. I, I can't see why we wouldn't. Yeah, because I can't imagine, like, you know, sitting through this, like,
3: do you, consciously. Do you know anywhere in the uh, neighborhood we can buy lots of green body dye?
1: I don't know. Hmm. Don't know. Nope. Yeah, well, I probably do, actually. I shouldn't say <laughs>
2: <laughs> Never say never. So I, uh, I looked up a link, and I threw this in the show notes. So nationaltoday.com has this, her first contact day timeline. 1966 Star Trek debuts on NBC. 1979, Star Trek: The Motion Picture is released. Um, First Contact, Star Trek: First Contact, in 1996, and then 2063, humans and Vulcans make contact for the first time. Oh, okay. And apparently, you can celebrate by watching Star Trek: First Contact, making yourself some cheese pierogies, and greeting everyone with the Vulcan salute. Sure. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the cheese pierogies are apparently some of Zefram Cochrane's favorite food. Which really is Hmm. that. I would have missed that in a pub trivia quiz for sure. No doubt,
3: no doubt. Uh Jaime, I would have uh I I don't want to get your hopes too high here, but of the three of us, you have the strongest chance of still being here in twenty sixty three. So I'm just saying maybe next time you're looking at that box of donuts, think a little harder about whether or not you want to see Zephyrum Cochran make contact with the Vulcans. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's true, unless Guinan changes the timeline. Oh lord. Um just trying to remember now the uh, the guy who plays saffron cock i saw him at the airport once like like in the line with me at the airport i didn't speak to him but
2: which one the the original guy or the new guy no the original guy the
1: stretch cunningham from the all the family what's his name
3: oh from uh from babe yeah remember his name now um oh god what's his name yeah cromwell james cromwell James Cromwell, yes, of course. He's like super, yeah. super tall, isn't he? In real life, he's like yeah, he's, he's like,
2: like six like, 7 yeah, or that that's, that's
1: why I said like you couldn't not notice him. <laughs> you know, he was
2: huge. Yeah, tall. yeah, yeah.
1: Like a basketball player,
2: tall, right? Yeah. So new guy sure. you meant, not not Glenn Corbett, who I had to look up it was the original guy.
1: Zefram <laughs> uh, Cochrane you know, from like the '66 series, or
2: yeah, I mean, Tim, that was totally plausible that, that you could have you know met him at some point. Watch, I'm going to look. I bet you he's Canadian. Mm. Let me take a look. Oh, he's American. Crom- Never mind. <laughs> James Cromwell's American, but he is six foot seven. I, I touched. No, uh, no, Glenn Corbett. Oh, Glenn Corbett.
3: Was, oh, Glenn Corbett. Oh.
1: I do remember uh, being at a. I think it was one of the first times I went to like Fan Expo or Comic Con with Jonathan and 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 Nimoy and I think Nimoy and and Shatner were there yep. doing yep. autographs in the and early two thousands. Like, yeah, they came together, and it was like super expensive. Like, oh yeah, a couple hundred bucks or something.
3: Easily, or? yeah, it was like easily two hundred bucks just to be in the room with them and get like uh, an autographed. Picture or something. Yeah. And that was, that was like, um, that was 20 you know, years now, ago. Now you pay that for
1: normally for, or you pay like, you know, close to that kind of money for, I remember, Sa- um, Stan Lee was pretty much that sort of same price range too. But I remember that thinking at the time that was ludicrous, right?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what would you pay now for that, for a nimoy you know, autograph, right? I Crazy. don't know. I'm, I, I like, I like getting autographs sometimes. I, d- I definitely like getting autographs from, artists and writers whose work I admire but I for them I really want to pick their brains like I, I like sitting there and like if I can get a sketch from an artist if they're doing sketching I like that because I like to watch them work yeah yeah no and, definitely, and I like yeah, talking yeah. to the writers because they're the ones who sort of conceived these ideas so I want to you know pick their brain about these sort of how they approach the process and stuff like that I, I gotta be honest I've interviewed Dozens of them over the years. I don't like talking to actors. You don't like <laughs> to actors? Yeah, yeah. Actors yeah. are not very bright animals generally. That has no, been my no, experience, they're not. you know? Like, they're not. No. There are some great ones. I've talked to some really interesting ones. I shouldn't belittle the entire profession, but there's a lot of them that I've spoken to who just, they, they're good at the one thing that they're good at. They, they don't seem like they really are super articulate about their craft which is disappointing i imagine that that's probably a a bit of an old cliche maybe less so now than it was when i was doing that stuff 20 years ago but god yeah there's some people out there people are like oh you've met so-and-so what they what are they like i'm like dumb dumb yeah dumb Yeah. yeah Or possibly on drugs, maybe both.
1: No, it's not not that. I mean, I, I went to, as you know, I went to a fine art school. So half of the or a third of the students were were theater students, and yeah, they they can be they can be a little performant performant if you want to call it that. Like they 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 have their different moments when they're on and off and that kind of stuff. So it's I think it's part of their their particular artistic quirks that yeah. they're not genuine or don't seem to be genuine. You know, they're sort of hiding behind a mask, as it were. Like here. that, yep. Alrighty. Uh, oh, I've skipped down to the last week's Five Fact Check. I'm gonna go back up to the Jaime's top next Jaime's and... next. Jaime's next. Great Scott. Jaime's next. Wait, no. Oh, no, wait. Me. I'm
3: next. Sorry. I've, I've <laughs> skipped the <a> page. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. I did to myself. Okay. <clears throat> Great Scott. Uh, we got news this week that Christopher Lloyd, the beloved actor behind. Uh, Dr. Emmett Brown for Back to the Future is going to be on season three of The Mandalorian. Hollywood Reporter has an exclusive story from earlier this week of course it's been picked up and aggregated everywhere else that he is currently filming the third season of the show in Southern California. No so details. He's to where, so he's going somewhere where there are no roads? There are no, well if it's on Tatooine, then uh, there's train tracks, apparently, but no no roads. Uh, <laughs> it does not say anything about who he's playing, what he's going to be doing. It lists absolutely no information in there. But, yeah, interesting okay. nonetheless. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's in his 80s now, so
2: good for him to keep
3: working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of work in front of the camera nowadays, mm. which is why seeing him in stuff like um, Nobody with... Um, Odenkirk kirk is, mm-hmm. is a is a is yeah, a pleasure yeah. he's usually more like you know executive producer or producer or writer you see his credits so having him in front of the camera is they, they must have chosen something pretty interesting for him to decide to do that
3: and it says he was in the tender bar tim you said you watched that right
1: i did yeah but in, like i do remember him being you know sort of the ornery older you know dad kind of guy, mm. uncle kind of guy, but, but no, like the the portrayal in, in, uh, nobody, I don't, have you seen nobody, John? No, no, that's on my to-do list. Yeah, no, he, he plays a really old guy, like, mm. yeah, like, like octogenarian type thing. So yeah, I, I see why Kami was kind of like questioning the role, right? So yeah,
2: no, I mean, not questioning his ability, just to be really clear, just questioning, like, it seemed like he had very clearly chosen, like I'm going to predominantly yeah. do producing and writing, uh, you know, different kind of work style lifestyle than being an actor in front of the camera. So I'm going to assume that him coming back in front of the camera again is because he really likes whatever the role was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could see, I could see him in a star in a star Wars thing for sure.
3: This is also quite the, uh, he's now completed quite the trifecta here because of course he was Commander Krug in Star Trek Three: Search for Spock, the famously, uh, well, the one who ends up uh, killing his, killing Kirk's son, and uh, yeah, really being a, a general uh well, one of the reasons why Kirk hates Klingon so much, so he's gonna have the star wars star trek back to the future tr- uh trilogy of uh of experiences that's just a that's i mean he was already a legend for uh for back to the future, but man that's quite that's quite the trifecta to complete
2: yeah, for sure, yeah, you've got that great um scene where the the enterprise crew has set the auto destruct and gotten off the ship, and oh yeah, the Klingons are on board and they're like, hey. Uh, Captain, Nothing's so, here,
3: but a. Yeah,
2: yeah it's just a computer talking. Seven, six, <laughs> five. Like, Get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> what are you, stupid? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep, for sure. All right. And right now here. give me Jaime's turn. Yeah. Great, Scott, it's Jaime's turn. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. I don't have a, a, a cool quote for this, but in the uh, Netflix is throwing a lot of animated properties at the wall and seeing what sticks kind of thing. To no one's surprise, they're doing a Tekken anime series. This is based on the uh, Tekken uh, video game fighting series. If you've watched um, uh, Castlevania, a video game animated series on on Netflix, I have not seen the League of Legends one, or Arcane, I want to say it's called, or Legacy or something like that. Um, People have been saying that's pretty good, uh, even for people who aren't fans. I'm maybe going to check that one out. I've heard the Um, same thing, yeah. So uh, who knows where this one will go uh, in terms of things, but it does seem kind of cool to see this turned into, uh, you know, a Japanese anime style thing. I think it's produced in America though. I don't know if they said, but Hey, it's coming out on Netflix. Cool. Yeah. I, were you a Tekken fan? Jaime? Yeah. I've, oh, man, there's so many games. I'm probably more familiar with the first Three, maybe Same. four, yeah, four, maybe yeah. I feel like so, so you know how to play beach volleyball.
3: You know how to play bowling. You know all the good stuff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Is it spoilers to say, man? I really hope they have like the kangaroos and oh,
3: and the pandas, the yeah. dinosaur
2: guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, hundred percent.
3: Yeah, gone, gone has to be in it. It gets yeah. weird, Tim. It gets real weird. It's a, it's a weird franchise that kind of expanded in all kinds of odd directions, but i'll tell you of all the fighting games i played over the years and and sort of you know play with my friends and play by myself tekken was my by far my favorite i thought it did a pretty good job in a very limited scope like they really only showed you a little vignette at the beginning and they showed you a little vignette of each of the characters sort of explaining their motivations wordless ones at that and yet it felt like a world that was rife for some storytelling like they 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 were all pretty compelling little little bits, and the animation was, for its time, super, super well done. So I, I'll definitely keep my eyes peeled on this one and sort of see if this is something half-decent.
1: Yeah, I do remember the giant pandas. They were huge, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: But it's always the the funniest is when you could, like, overlap the weirdness, where you could have them do, like, the 10-pin bowling game that was built in.
4: Oh, or, really? Or, or the, that,
3: or the yeah. beach volleyball game that was built into one of them. Hmm.
1: I only I only played the the side the, the one-on-one fighting yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. Each one had a special ability or something, right? Well,
3: then there was Tekken Tag, which was fun too, where you had to you had to pick two guys and then you could tag in and tag out as they were getting beat up. That was kind of fun. Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. I remember being getting beat up a lot in those games. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what they're there for. for guys to guys who cannot punch each other in real life to get out their frustrations and play a game. All right. Next up the uh, the Flash got news this week that the Flash is coming back for season nine. Uh, CW has handed out a few early renewals. For some of its series, Uh, The Flash is getting a season 9, Superman and Lois is getting a season 3, Riverdale is getting a season 7, for those of you who are interested in that, and uh, also a few more, all Americans getting a season 5, Kung Fu is getting a season 3, Nancy Drew is getting a season 4, and last but not least, Walker, the Walker Texas Ranger remake is getting a season 3, so interesting. That those ones got the early nod. No word yet about uh, Legends of Tomorrow or Batwoman or Naomi, the, uh, the the newest comer to the to the DC comic book universe on CW. So yeah, I guess we'll see how that all plays out over the course of time. I'm kind of conflicted. On one hand, I have a very big fondness for The Flash. It was one of the series that I really gravitated to. But since they've changed over like 90% of the cast for the beginning now, and the same thing even with, with Legends, they've, they've changed so much that it's not even hardly much of the show that it once was. So I would have probably been okay if they were going to wrap up this year. I'm... I'm Fine with there being a season 9 I will probably eventually watch it but um I don't know how do you guys feel about there being more of the the DCCW stuff do you still care
1: I <laughs> don't know I so 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 the, the same character same actor plays the flash but all the surrounding people have have changed over
3: Yeah there's basically there's three characters that remain it's Flash and the the uh, the young woman who plays his wife and his hmm. dad. That's pretty much it. And even the dad has sort oh. of been reduced at times to sort oh, of... Oh, he rescued start. his dad I guess from... Or not, not re- his dad, re- his stepfather. His, his stepdad, oh, okay. who's the, the, yeah. um, the police chief. So... Yeah, outside of that, like, all the supporting cast has sort of come and gone and come and gone in different iterations, some for different reasons to do work other projects, some short-term and back and forth, but, yeah, they've sort of pulled people in and out and in and out, and they've replaced, you know, the supporting characters, so, again, it's not it, it hasn't dramatically lost its tone, it's just, obviously, you build up a relationship with those characters, too, and... And I, and I think it's a sad truth for anyone who's watched a lot of that show to to reconcile the fact that Barry might be the worst character on his own show. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong?
2: No. I'm not a huge watcher of, of the Flash so from the the DC stuff on CW. I was predominantly a Supergirl um, yeah. watcher, and I would see the other shows when they did the crossovers uh, with Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the first season of uh, Batwoman, and then, and then punted when they uh, they changed out the yeah, uh, the character. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, on list list of things, um, I've been continuing to watch Superman and Lois, and uh, I've been watching Kung Fu, but but Flash is, is just kind of there. I guess at this point, it's kind of like comfortingly there. Of like, oh, I might just have it on in the background kind of thing. So I've, I've probably seen um, certainly a handful of episodes in, in random order just because it, it's there all the time sort of thing.
1: Yeah, Superman and Lois is kind of. I I'm, I have been watching. It, I've been PVRing it, but you know I, I kind of find it weak in a sense, right? I don't, maybe it's very comic I don't know. I'm not. It's not as you know entertaining as other other of these. You know, especially the Marvel properties, right? But um, yeah, I think it it needs work. It's not as good as uh, was it Lois and Clark? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Dean Kane and uh, yeah, that Terry was Hatcher really, that was a yeah. really good series. Yeah, but uh, this one isn't quite that. You know. I mean, even though there's like what ten, fifteen years difference between them, right? Oh, yeah, maybe
3: um, more than that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would have to go back. I, didn't, I don't. I don't know what. Do you, what do you think? I mean, the, the whole high school drama thing and the, the Smallville. And does that work for you?
2: Uh, I think it's kind of interesting uh, in that it's three different shows in one, and I feel more strongly about um, one of the shows. And then I'm, you know, I'm pretty, pretty good on the second part. And then I'm not a huge fan of the third part. So it's kind of, it's kind of like uh, Cobra Kai in that uh, for Cobra Kai, I love the original eighties actors related stuff, basically all the adults. And I'm not super keen on the teen drama part, except for where it interacts with the adults, right? It's like adults dealing with these dumb kids. Superman and Lois has the same kind of thing. I really, really personally like the what if Superman but has to deal with his dang kids sort of thing, right? This is like, you know, 35 to 40-year-old Superman, like, I, I can't handle my life <laughs> kind of thing. Like, how am I going to punch Doomsday in the face and worry about my teen son drinking and driving, right? Like, it's that sort of thing. Like, that's kind of fun. I, I do like the, the superhero Part of the show, the Superman doing Superman stuff. That's you know kind of the second part. The third part of the show I don't like is when it's just the teenagers. I'm Like, yeah, I really don't care about these these normal people with their their petty problems I'm like, don't bother Clark, man. Like, you know, he's trying to be like the the, the assistant coach here, and he's also got to go punch Doomsday in the face, right? Like, that's that's something that I think I struggle with. So it's not a, a fully complete show. It's not a must see for me, but it is one that I continue to watch
1: yeah I think that's I think that's the trouble is, is like well uh, uh, for a bit of i mean it's maybe it's not spoilers for Jonathan but the one of the sons has exhibits powers right um i'm shocked, shocked i say so, i'm shocked so it's 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 trying to you know it's kind of like the teen wolf kind of um how do I deal with this but it's not teen wolf one it's teen wolf two right um how do I deal with this this you know rage that i deal with because he's got the teenage angst and the ter- testosterone and he's got the superpowers he's trying to learn how to deal with right and yeah so it's it's, it's a bit
2: tiring <laughs> i think it's not yeah. helped by the fact that it has the like weakest writing for lois lane that i've ever seen and even my significant other picked up on this because uh, you know usually she's doing something in the background and then i'm watching the show and she noticed after several weeks, he's like, Why is the woman character always irrational and unreasonable? And I said, What do you mean? And she described some of the things. I'm like, Yeah, 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 that that's why I don't like the Lois Lane character in this iteration, because she's hmm. like I didn't look at the writers to see if it's all dudes or something, but it's certainly written <laughs> from a very male perspective where she is just completely unreasonable. As a character to add, extra well, and drama. she's
1: supposed to be the stronger, one of the stronger characters in in the in the relationship too, because like, she's the reporter and she's the big city reporter working in a small newspaper or whatever, right? Sort of. Like yeah, she's kind of slumming it as as a professional working woman, right? But she's got to, like you said, she's got to drive the kids to the hockey game and stuff like that, right?
2: Yeah, I think they gave her the the Star Trek bad admiral role for for this show, yeah. where <laughs> again it's kind of like you know Superman's doing stuff, and then he gets called by the uh, you know the, the 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 Superman watch signal beeper thing, and he's like, okay, Lois, what's going on? Clark, did you know your son was gonna have sex with this girl? I'm like, are are you serious? <laughs> this is what you're bothering Superman about? Like, <laughs> g- g- ignore the fact that like bothering your husband about this is is one thing, but like, I was just saving people from drowning because the dam burst. Could you like slow your roll and not push this emergency button to call me over for this? Like, why do, couldn't this have waited till I came home for dinner? <laughs> you know? So I, yeah. I, again, I. It's a it's a show with weaknesses. I I like seeing you know Clark Kent and Superman deal with what if Superman but also has the baggage of a family uh, kind of aspect that I haven't really seen uh, a lot. But it, it it does have some flaws. I'm not, I'm not saying it's perfect. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, I'm glad I'm I'm glad I'm. I can I can rest easy skipping episodes then I guess all right.
2: <laughs> they do do right. a pretty decent job of doing recaps, so you you probably could skip an episode or two and be like, oh okay, whatever. Like, oh no, they're on <laughs> they're on my PVR. Just you
1: know, just I haven't, I haven't you know, gotten around to erasing them, but I just you know, <laughs> and I can also I can also watch them on on something like some streaming service has them all backed up or whatever. Right, I could watch them there now. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and
3: they're on the uh, on demand too. So yeah. Yep. All right, and our last story for this week for news is that uh, Suicide Squad, colon, killed the Justice League, uh, which is a very cool-looking game that I think uh, Jaime and I both both mentioned in, in previous episodes. Uh, we got news this week, it's going to be delayed till next year, which is a bit of a drag, although I tend to take gaming release dates with a grain of salt after both working in the industry and also uh and also being a gamer for so long i don't believe that a game is released until a game is released so when they say oh we've got to go back to the drawing board we're gonna delay it because we want to make it even better yeah whatever that's fine it's no game is released until i have it in my hands so i'm not surprised it does look really excellent the trailer that they put out uh ooh, like a year and a half ago looks really great you know Harley Quinn and Deadshot Captain Boomerang and they're all you know it's it's kind of got a little bit of an overlap with what's going on with the uh, the Suicide Squad movie they did um uh, the idea is that basically the Justice League have been uh taken over and they have to have to stop them this sort of ragtag bunch but it looks super fun and and the graphics look great so I'm I'm looking forward to it but uh yeah it's going to be a little little longer wait yeah
1: so by the way, just as a sidebar, have you guys seen Everything Everywhere? Because I, I, a couple of people I follow online were saying it's an amazing show and they loved it. Nope. The Michelle Yeoh one? No, because it came out in theaters only. Right? It's not on a streaming service. I thought it was a movie, and it's not. A, it's it's not a. I thought it was a TV show, like a series. It is. I thought it was a movie. Is it a movie? Oh, okay. I thought it was a movie, but I'm not sure. Okay, maybe it's a movie. All right. Anyway, just yeah, we'll just check that in our our. Anyway, let's this that part of the show where we talk about something Star Trek related this week. We're only got one Star Trek thing to talk about. Only one? And it's Star Trek Picard, season four. Season two, episode four. Okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And it's called The Watcher or Watcher. Not The Watcher, just
3: Watcher. Not to be confused with The Watcher. That's a different thing. Yeah. I'm sure Marvel would be upset if they called it The Watcher. Oh well, I guess, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we uh, we kick the episode off back at uh, the very dark and uh, rather depressing looking Chateau Picard. We scan over the top of it and see that it's in ruins. So that confirms what we suspected last week, that that is in fact where Picard had them crash land knowing that it was abandoned at this point in history. Um, Did he know it was abandoned or did we know it was abandoned? We didn't know that. We just, we surmised, I think on last week's episode that that's where Picard had taken the crash. He said, I'm taking you home, but we didn't actually see that it was at Chateau Picard. This week they start with this sort of panoramic flyover where we see that it is in a a pretty nasty state of disrepair. And it's in a backwood sort of, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's out
1: in the, the French countryside. First thing I thought about last week, and and I'm sure you'll get to it, is like,
3: how come nobody sees it there? Yeah, I mean, the idea is supposed to be that it's, it's, yeah, it's in the middle of the French countryside, right? So, yep. yeah, we get a little, little fly over there and, uh, and a little sort of establishing from uh, where Picard and Agnes are. Uh, and then we go straight over to Seven and Rafi, who opened the door at the clinic. And, uh, of course, we saw at the end of last week's episode, uh, Rios and Teresa were taken off in handcuffs by ICE agents. And so Seven and Rafi tracked them down there. They're told, uh, nope, your friend was here. He was busted. Uh, by ice, so they go off to look for him. Uh, back to the ship, Agnes is sort of shivering and cold, and Picard says, You know, oh, we should get you, you know, we should get you near to a fire. I've got, I, I know where we can find one of those. And uh, let me just crank on the old cloaking device here. So we, we find out that the ship has a, a cloaking device, which is an interesting. How convenient. Yeah, yeah. I interesting mean, it makes sense device. though, right?
2: Because it wasn't like the Federation couldn't develop the technology because they were just. You know, too dumb to put rocks together. It was because they had a treaty with the yep. Romulans that prevented, them, whereas the confederation is oh. like, it's all human all the time. We don't care about your ideas of morality or, or negotiation sort of thing. So, of course, they would have cloaking devices. It, it sort of made sense to me. Perfectly, it, it is yeah. a plot convenience of like, oh, let's hide the ship. And I'm like, yep. oh, OK, I, I see how you got there, though. Yeah.
3: Uh So they so they head over to the uh, the old chateau, and Picard gives a little backstory, basically explaining that uh, at this point in history in twenty twenty four, that the the chateau had been abandoned for a hundred years, that it had been previously used as a Nazi headquarters, and that the uh, the people that were there when the Nazis came in uh, survived only by being in the underground tunnels. I wonder if underground tunnels will come back around at some point, but. Um, the math didn't quite add up on that one. If it was abandoned for 100 years. Why were there people there when the Nazis were there in the 1930s? But anyways, I digress. Um, Wait, is
2: that when he said the 100 years? I thought it was 100 years from when they had to escape from the Nazis. That's the way I interpret it. Oh, oh I see. So Like they, going they were bit, forward. So, like, so it was like, abandoned oh, for 100 Nazis years from
3: when the Nazis came? That's that how I understood sense. it
2: with the, uh, the underground tunnels thing. And also, right. did, did you catch the like canonical fix? For why does this very British man have a
3: Oh because yeah, because the hearts,
2: they escaped France and moved to England? Yeah, and then you know, yeah, for like a yeah. hundred years they they, they 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 localized, right? Yep. They, they so hence the English, English accents. accents.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Convenient. Uh as, or, or maybe they just hired an English guy to play a Frenchman. Um so we get a little bit of a flashback where Picard is sort of looking down the hallways and he sees his mom. We get a little, another little sort of. It's uh, a flash forward flashback. Well, yeah, so as a flash to the future, but in back in his time. Anyways. Uh, so we get a little bit more of the relationship between him and his mom, which is interesting. And um, that sort of continues to unfurl itself. It explains
1: the EDFPF he's always listening to as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh,
3: and then we get this sort of weird sequence where. Uh, Agnes is sort of walking around the room instead of sitting by the fire where she's supposed to be she's walking around the room with a blanket draped draped around her um, strange that the blanket survived all this time unless they brought that from the ship but uh, she ends up pulling this this uh, book off the shelf and then she gr- runs over and grabs a bottle of wine and she starts playing with this abacus that's over on the wall and and uh, not coincidentally Picard figures out that she keeps uh, drawing, being drawn to the number 15 based on the information she pulled out of the board Queen's noggin. And so she, yes, she grabs the 15th volume of the encyclopedia. She grabs a 1915 wine, and she uh, just offhandedly moves the abacus to 15. And they figure out that it's April the 12th, and it's the 15th that is the 15 there, and that that means they only have three days left to change the future before the, uh, the future they saw, the... the brutal future that they came from, it comes to pass. Uh, we go back to Seven and Raffi. They are taking a bus to try and get to LAPD headquarters. Uh, back of the bus, we have a punk. The punk is playing a song that sounds a little familiar. He's banging along to his, uh, to his portable radio in a clear homage to the 1986 uh, scene from Star Trek The Voyage Home. And uh, I looked it up, and it is the exact same actor. So wow, cool. bravo to them for pulling the obscure Kirk R. Thatcher uh, back to play this punk. And of course, this time they turned the tables, showing that even rough and rumble punks can learn there for, over the course of time. Between 1986 and 2024, apparently this punk has learned that if he's blasting his music on the bus, he has to turn it down. Otherwise, he's going to get thumped. Yeah. Yeah. And he apologized. And he does. Not only does he turn it down, he just says, I love that song, man. Worth it? Good gag?
1: Great gag. I thought it was... Yeah, it's I, a deep I, cut. Wondered, I was going to go and look and see if it was the same guy or whatever. But yeah, thanks for doing that. There you go. The um,
3: same song. I mean... I, I well, it was, it was not exactly the same song, but it's very much the same sentiment in the song. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then, yes, they, they uh, are sort of both... PO'd and they're on their way to go and try and find Rios uh, heading to the wrong place we'll find out but we go back to Picard and Agnes Uh, Picard basically says you know what You know, we're going to need to split up I'm going to go and try and find this watcher Uh, Agnes you stay here by yourself with the queen who you just like networked with last week what could possibly go wrong and so Picard gets beamed out and Agnes is left alone with the queen and the queen sort of you know Makes this allusion to the fact that, you know, now the two of them share this bond, this connection, and, uh, you know, the, the hive of two. You've had the taste, you you know. That's right. Well, we know Agnes is an addictive personality, so it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Of course, Picard beams out and he drops himself at an an intersection, and he turns around and he finds himself at a very familiar intersection where he finds himself at Number Ten Forward Avenue. Uh, for of course, ten forward, where we saw in episode one, he met with uh, an older version of Gynen. Guinan, that's Gynen's Earth-based bar, and so he wanders in and sits down and says hello, and uh, and meets a young Gynen, which was kind of an an interesting twist. I don't know that I saw that one. Coming, although yeah, it, yeah. it probably was telegraphed pretty well. Uh, and of course, she's got her beautiful uh, pit bull, Luna, who I believe was actually played by uh, Patrick Stewart's dog, if I'm not mistaken. That looked an yeah, awful lot. Yeah, number one, right? So, an awful uh, lot like his dog, yeah. Um, and she's very suspicious. She's like, Who the hell are you? What do you want? Like, I'm closing, I'm leaving, I'm done. This place is, you know, beyond me. And Picard is trying to be very coy. He's not telling her who he is, he's sort of, you know, I, I'm here on an important mission, and then drops the fact that, you know, he knows that she's an Elorian, and she's, she's not pleased. Uh, we go back to the um, we go back to Seven and Rafi, they arrive at LP, LAPD headquarters, they're trying to find Rios, and uh, they are, you know, bawling out, uh, Raffi's bawling out the desk sergeant trying to figure out, uh, you know, what, where is our friend, where has he gone, whatever. They get a tip from one of the people sitting there, you know what, if you're looking for somebody who is detained by ice, you're not going to find them with LAPD, they've, they've got their own thing, try going here. They, uh, then we cut to... Rios, who is in the ice detention cell, um and he is watching just some of the cruelty that happens inside these facilities where, uh, you know, they basically are bullying people to, you know, get back on a bus and be deported to to Mexico, whether or not they want to or whether or not they are in violation of their rights or anything else. Uh, same type kind of stuff that I'm sure happens regularly down there. Um, and then he, sort of intercedes on behalf of this uh, young man and ends up getting tasered. Right. So um, then we go to Picard and Guinan. Uh, Guinan's clearly getting ready to leave. She uh, is giving Luna her dog away to one of her friends and Picard sort of goes, you know, well, let's, let's try something different here. And so he repeats back the exact words that Guinan says to him in the same place 400 years in the future and, uh, Guinan <laughs> leans over the bar and pukes because she feels at Celts, the time sickness, because she heard the exact same words and she knows that there, there is that connection. Um, that's a strange one. That's an interesting new concept. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, uh, that you could make an Ulrian puke just by saying something to them that yeah. they said to you previously. Well, it's similar, similar to how the Borg queen was could sense a weirdness.
1: You know, in the second episode, she could sense that it was weird things going on in the timeline.
2: Right? Yeah. Yeah. I also uh, viewed it as potentially being, uh, it's not like a retcon per se, but more paradox, of a, of a fill, no, more of a fill in for how she knew that the timeline was wrong in yesterday's enterprise. Right. Right. Yeah. it's a good point. Yeah. Cause like presumably in that timeline, she's been living her life normally totally fine until they hit that inflection point of like, well, wait a minute. Actually, Picard, uh, this timeline is wrong. I don't know why it's wrong, but it's definitely wrong. Right. So maybe that's what they're going for in this this throw-up thing.
3: Yeah. We move back over to Seven and Raffi. This episode jumps around a lot. We move over to Seven and Raffi and they are uh, trying to figure out how they're going to find Rios. Raffi says, well, you know what? I'm thinking we just pop into one of these little police cars here and we, uh, use their, we borrow their computer. And so she phasers out a window and Seven says, um, weren't we supposed to not have phasers? And then she's like, I don't know how that got in my pocket. And then she sits down and she's like, well, now how are you going to use the computer? You don't know how to use the computer. She pulls out a tricord. <laughs> Which apparently Rafi was not messing around on this mission. She she broke all her own rules. Um, in the end, they have to steal the police car basically to to try and get where they're going. So they they start driving towards where Rios is. Uh, Seven is behind the wheel. Um, how she learned how to drive, I'm not sure, but she doesn't do it well. Uh, she starts like you know weaving through traffic, driving down the wrong one way streets the wrong way. Uh, you know, generally putting their lives in danger. Um, In L.A., um, the odds of her survival would be astronomically high, having spent a little time there. Uh, But, you know, for humorous effect, she lives. Um, You know,
2: let me me interject here with something that came to my mind. Um, So I have sort of two explanations for Seven knowing how to drive things. So sort of the the broader cheat one is like, oh, well, in a world where you have holodecks, why couldn't you do something like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, racing against Mario Andretti or something, right? Like, sure, sure, why not? sure, knock yourself out. But more concretely for Seven herself, I'd have a harder time doing this with Rafi, is Seven's crewmate for four years was Mr. Tom Paris, who was really into cars. True, If you remember, he knew what the floating, like, Chevy pickup truck or Ford pickup truck was, when everybody else is confused what it was, the one that they found in space. So, not unreasonable that she would have learned from Tom Paris himself about how to drive. Also, she had all the knowledge of the Board Collective in her head, too, right? There's that one, the, like, oh yes, that's right, so we assimilated some people who were really into cars, and therefore their knowledge, and, and along with their knowledge of, like, you know, all the Pokemon <laughs> is, is in the Board Collective's consciousness, right? Yeah. They don't know it all, but they know
3: a lot. Um, back to Girardi and the Queen. They are uh, are playing a little sort of chess game as they're they're sort of trying to figure out uh, how they can uh, um, who which one of them is basically going to have the upper hand in their in their dynamic. Uh, quick scene goes back to Picard and Guinan, and he uh, is trying to sort of. Uh, you know, give her the reason why she should stick around and why she should believe what it is he has to say. Uh, It's at that point that... um she starts to, uh, you know, really sort of dig her heels in. She's, you know, I'm I'm not sticking around. Humanity's a waste. Uh, you know, we get a little bit more of a glimpse of uh, of the the DS nine future that we were, we saw the the, the twenty uh, first century where things are starting to look pretty rough in in uh, in California and and things are getting bad. Um, we go to the ICE detainment center with Rios and Teresa and um, they are <laughs> talking about, you know, he's like, you know, well, she says, well, why'd you come back? And he's like, well, you know, I, I left, but I came back. I wanted to make sure that things were okay. And, you know, he doesn't admit that what he really went back for is his communicator, which he still didn't get. And then um, she gets released uh, and he is stuck there. And the same uh, jackass uh, ICE Officer that was, uh, was, had tasered him earlier, sort of says, you know, we're going to put you on a bus and send you, you know, down to Mexico, unless you can give us a good reason not to tell us who you are, show us your proof of identification, citizenship. And he so <laughs> Rios just said, lays it all out for him and basically says, uh, my name is Cristobal Rios. I am the captain of the USS Stargazer. I come from the year 2400 uh, I need to get, you know, we're here. We're looking for a watcher so we can reset the timeline. And the guide sort of rolls his eyes and walks out of the room. Um but, you know, sometimes truth, you know, best best plan. Uh, Seven and Rafi are, are weaving their way through traffic. We get the great line from Seven. What what does the yellow one mean? Uh, speed up, speed up. Um, which is, you know, I think the same philosophy that my son has, but I'm not sure. And um, Red means stop. Yep. Yeah, and Red means stop. Uh, at that point, Rios is being ferried outside. He's being stuck on the bus. Uh, we've got... Re, uh, we've got... Um, Rafi and Seven are trying to communicate with uh, Agnes and they're saying, you know, hey, you need to help us here. You need to transport us there. Otherwise, we have no chance of getting there in time and we're going to lose Rios. So uh, they basically have him, uh, have have Jurati sort of realize that she can't get the the transporters back online alone, so she goes to the Borg Queen and says, "You know, let's make a deal." And the Queen basically says, "Well, what is? What could you possibly offer me that I would want?" And she's like, "Me? You? You want somebody to talk to? You're desperately lonely, and if you help me, if you get the transporters back online, I will stay here and I will talk with you." Um, which is a very astute move from Agnes, right? Like we know that she's a very smart person, in spite of all of her vices, that she observes that. The queen is is really desperately lonely, having been connected and disconnected from the hive. Right. We uh, so then we get the repairs. She has uh, Agnes has seven and Rafi basically slam the brakes on in their car, uh, and then they are beamed out. Uh, apparently, they had to slam on the brakes because they were their transporters were having a tough time getting a lock on moving targets. Probably for the best because if they just beamed them out while the car was going super fast, that would have been really messy. Although having them be beamed out right in plain sight of a bunch of armed officers, also maybe not the best thing for the timeline, but what are you going to do? They uh, find themselves on a hilltop and the question becomes, you know, this bus is coming careening down the hill. How the hell are they going to stop the bus? be continued um the queen we go back to agnes and the queen and uh and agnes basically sort of you know having having gotten the transports online and completed that part of the mission then walks out of the room and the queen is understandably miffed saying like you know no no you said you'd stick around what are you doing where are you going uh back to picard and Guinan, and um yeah, and Guinan's very unlikable. She's she's really being quite um, unpleasant. She's not listening. She's she's not compromising. It, I really feel like we need more context as to why she's being so hostile. Because this is a character who we've known for 20 plus years. To have her be so obstinate, and she's a listener by nature. Why isn't she listening to him? I, I found that very incongruous to mm. what we know about the character. And I'm not even going to get too far into the fact that she now looks younger than she did back in the 1800s when they first met. But we'll get to that in a second. So um, Picard sort of says, you know, OK, you know what? I got to I got to up the ante here. So he reveals what his name is and what he's there for. And Guinan sort of goes, oh, my gosh. OK, so chronologically for her, she would have known that they met In the past, when they had the adventure with Mark Twain and Data in the past, right? She should have, even in that moment, she should have, A, recognized him, but B, being reminded, because sure, it's been 130 years or 150 years since they last met, which for her is a drop in the bucket, but still, shouldn't she have recognized him and or his name immediately and been like, oh, cool, we've met before, I trust you, let's figure this out. But no, she's still being kind of unlikable about all this
2: well you're touching an area where timey wimey gets involved because if you follow the timeline and its consequences if the confederation is the future from the starting point of where they're at there is no data that's recovered which means data doesn't go back in time and they don't have those shenanigans, which means Picard and company don't go back in there. There is no data's head back in the eighteen hundreds, right? So,
3: but if they've gone back in time prior to the point of the divergence, wouldn't that be that previous time? Or they Yeah, that's that's.
2: This is where timey wimey starts to make your brain hurt. Yeah, it ends up being kind of like um, the end of all good things. <clears throat> sorry, the um, all good things. The end of yeah. uh, TNG, where it's like all of these three different timelines should hypothetically be together, but they're they're disconnected because of in this case. Q-based timey-wiminess, so... Yeah, yeah. I don't know that they did a good job of explaining... Like, I wish they had a a, a throwaway line of, like, don't you remember the 1800s? Oh, wait, if, you know, if we never had the Federation, data never goes back, we never have that conversation. I -hmm. wish they had spent just, like, 10 seconds filling in this part, because I think there's a rational reason here, but you got to just say timey (laughs) whiminess The timeline is looped, and so you... If you change that part of it, this other part has changed too, which means it ends up being like like the Bill and Ted's um excellent adventure kind of thing right, wow. <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah, if you' if get it. too
3: far if you're gonna get too far into the weeds, then the moment of conception that creates all these characters doesn't exist, and anyways it's it's just it's a mess. it's a mess
2: yeah, it gets weird. <laughs>
3: uh okay so we wrap it up with uh so Guinan now knowing who he is and hearing his name realizes okay there's something about his name that I need to uh to deal with so she takes him to go meet this supervisor and the supervisor who's this quote guardian angel type is uh is the person who's going to sort of help and uh so this sort of creepy kid comes up to them in the park and uh talks to the two of them and basically says to Guinan like Get lost, guidance says peace. I'm out, and then uh, the kid leads Picard to one spot where this sort of consciousness keeps transferring from person to person, sort of possessing them and and guiding Picard to to this inevitable person. And uh, at one point, sort of says, you know, take your take your battery out of your communicator because I don't want uh, you know you doing anything shady here. And by the time they get to this, uh, you know, sort of through this maze of people to the other side, of course, uh, you know, Picard sort of sees somebody and says, excuse me, don't I know you and turns around and it's Laris, who, of course, we you know, from last season and, and this season as the, the Romulan uh, woman who lived with his house, who he almost kissed in the first episode. And she walks over and uh, and says hello, and then this sort of misty, vanishing magic door appears. TARDIS, yes. Yeah, and sort of the two of them sort of disappear inside. And then we get this sort of weird sort of uh, little coda here at the end here where Q is sort of uh, sitting at a cafe, um, wearing a Europa Mission uniform, which is weird, and is talking to himself and he tries to sort of snap himself somewhere and it doesn't work. So I, again, I'm not sure what we're supposed to take out of that. Maybe you guys have some thoughts.
1: Well, he was trying to, he was trying to tell the woman what, what she was thinking and where she was, you know, what she was doing as she, as he was saying this to sort of, you know, that sort of third person narrative that he does. And then, yeah, it seems like, like maybe the, the messing up of the timeline has also messed up his his uh, ability or broken the qu-
2: continuum. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. Jaime, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with Q and why his Infinity Gauntlet is broken. But <laughs> um, people, I, I don't know. if This is considered a spoiler for future stuff, or if I just flat out missed this in the um, in the credits. That people were saying online that um, some resources saying the girl is Renee Picard, who is mentioned as the the person who was instrumental in early exploration. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I was supposed to know that there, or if we're going to be dun, 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 shocked in the next episode, and this is technically a spoiler. I I, I don't know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, and that's where we wrap up. We wrap up with, with Q snapping and saying, well, that's, that's not good. Um, what are your overall impressions? Any thoughts on this one?
1: Again, I get I liked this episode. I thought it was interesting. Like lots of interesting little twists and turns to sort of figure things out. And, you know the 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 car driving was was you know fun in the sense right funny to see how they they dealt with that and especially the part where um uh, says to them says something annoying and they both go she says, you need to guys you need to get together you work on your communication and and she starts telling, like, spewing on, and they both go Girardi at the same time. And yeah. she goes, "Yeah, see, it's already working. You're already, already synced <laughs>
3: up." You know? Yeah, she's great. I, I mean, I I really like Alison Pill. I think she's very funny, a very talented actor. I've enjoyed her in a couple of things. So it's fun to see her. Um, she it's has this. Canada's own. Canada's own. She zone. is Canada's own. She has this lovely sort of little half smile, sort of twinkle in her eye. She's very mischievous eyes, those big dark eyes, and um, yeah, she's she's great. I like her. Yeah, so Madeline Wise plays Yvette Picard. Mm,
1: hmm So who's Yvette? His mother? That's his mom, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, I wrote some...
1: Oh, no, no, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. That's Yvette Picard. No, that's, that's not the same person. Just the blonde hair threw me off. Let me see if I can figure out who she is. Because the, they have the cast listed for the episode. Small girl plays the girl with the white eyes. Mm-hmm. Young Picard. It says Soong here. I didn't see any
2: Soong anywhere, did you? Unless they were hiding in plain sight. I, I didn't... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see. I didn't see that myself. Um, I've got some some questions here that I wrote in my notes. Uh, so we already talked about Tom Paris and Seven learning to drive. Um, Guinan looking different, given that we know that she looks like Whoopi Goldberg in the eighteen hundreds, at least in the original timeline. Mm-hmm. Do Elorians shed their skin? Perhaps.
3: Well, they mentioned in the episode, the first episode of the season, where. Guinan looks like Whoopi Goldberg now, obviously, and Picard says, "You know, oh, you're looking a little older." And she says, "You know, basically, we can choose what we look like, right?" So I get the impression that she can age and or de-age herself at will. That was ah, the impression okay. I was left with. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that that their outward appearance really is a, a matter of choice.
2: Okay, I, I could buy that. That's a that's a good callback. Um, the other thing I have. In my notes here is, are they setting up Rios and the Doctor? Um I don't know how to put this here, so I just put it the way I wrote in my notes. Is this a Stephen J. Fry style nasty and the pasty situation that they're <laughs> setting up? Where <laughs> he's not going to be exactly his own grandfather, but like you know, a few hundred years separated. Worth like what? What? Why? Why are they setting that up? Where do you think they're going with Rios and the Doctor? That seems somewhat more romantic. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of possibilities based
3: on Star Trek storytelling, timey wimey stuff that they've done. One of the possibilities is yes, that there's some sort of you know relation or whatever. Although I think they've been pretty overt with the sort of flirtation between the two of them, so that would be a little gross if he, if she was like his great 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 grandmother or something like that. Um, the other possibility is it's one of those like she has to del- she has to die for the future to live kind of deals where it's like you know her. Her, her survival means the death of, of humanity she has to die so that everybody else can live kind of deal because they've certainly done that in the past um, I don't know it's hard to say or you know again this was the last we see of her because he, she sort of says you know if you need anything you know call me or whatever and then she's like peace out homie I'm out of here so whether or not that's the the last we see of her I don't, I don't know any
2: thoughts on any of that? I mean it certainly seems plausible so you're talking a, um, a city on the edge of Oh, yeah, what's the one thing sitting on the edge of forever for tomorrow? What's the the guardian? Oh yeah, the, the
3: uh, yeah 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 the one they just referenced, the one with the Joan
2: uh, Collins, right? So you're, you're you're saying that like basically uh, McCoy's forever. sacrifice City on the yeah. edge of forever, right? Thank yeah. you, thank you. M- McCoy's sacrifice is something they might be going for here as a, as yeah. a thing with the doctor. Mm. Yeah, like maybe
3: that's are all interrelated or maybe it's her son or you know what i mean like who knows how this all sort of comes together it seems like a weird resolution to their dynamic to have her just be like okay i'm free now you have a nice trip back to mexico i don't know it's hard to say it seems like four episodes out of 10 in we're pretty we're pretty new into this there's still not a lot of stuff to cling on to yet pardon the pun Cling on
1: yeah Anyway, so I was just checking some of the trivia on the show, but nothing really significant other than the dog is uh, one of the cards rescues. Apparently, or Patrick Stewart's rescues. Apparently, his, he and his wife rescue pit bulls.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, it, it had to be. There was no, no other reason for other than for him to go. Look, pit bulls are good. You should adopt one. Yeah, exactly. So to be continued next week. I guess we'll see if by our next week we'll we'll hit the halfway point on season two, and maybe things will start to get a little clearer. I think I think it'll be it'll be a good um
1: when you can binge all the episodes one after the other, I think it'll it'll be a bit more enjoyable, you know?
3: Yeah, it it, it really does. This is one of those cases for the argument between the, the sort of episode dump model versus the week by week model. I mean I you know, we talked about some of the sort of cliffhangers, obviously we had the cliffhanger where, you know, in the, the episode previous where, you know, they were held at gunpoint, you know, last week was, you know, Rios getting arrested, this week it's how do they get Rios off the bus, and also, uh, you know, what how, how is Laris in this time, and what's going on with her. Um, any speculation on the, the Laris stuff? Are we supposed to assume that she's been traveling throughout time protecting the Picard line so that Picard can fulfill his spatial destiny or something? Hmm. Good question.
2: That's a possibility. In my in my notes I wrote Laris is a Fembot baby as a <laughs> as a as a oh she's been a golem too, or or you know, the the watcher is um you know aware of enough things to be like I'm just going to mess with your head by putting someone you love as the the face.
3: Yeah, and it's possible that that's the case. It's not actually Laris. It's just using a familiar face. But my thought was, because what convinces Guinan that she needs to take action is the name Picard, right? That's yeah. the thing that triggers her is, oh, I know the name Picard, and I know that that's important. And that's what triggers her to finally take action after an entire episode of saying, no, 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 go away. When he finally says, "My name is Picard," she's like, "Well, we better get you over to this person then." So, to me, what that says is, and, and clearly, you know, obviously, with all the foreshadowing they've done with the the Chateau Picard, the relationship with his mom, Q, all that stuff, I saw that as potentially, you know, Picard is one of those people throughout history. The family line is important, and therefore needs to be protected throughout history. So that Picard can be born, so that Picard can do whatever, whether it's stop the Borg or meet the Q or insert, you know, win a game of Dom jot I don't know. Right. Get stabbed in the heart. (laughs) Hey, I was thinking about that when we were talking about him uh, suddenly having this robotic body that is uh, equally frail to the body he had previously, which again, dick move. But um, so I guess he doesn't have a hole in his heart now. That's a bonus. No hole in his heart, you mean? Yeah, like he, 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 it's all robotic now. Before he had, he had a robotic heart for a while there. Now he's got, uh,
2: robotic everything. Hmm, true. Yeah, Rios sort of casually blew past that with, uh, and, and this guy, he's yeah. like a flesh and blood robot. I don't even understand what that means, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true.
3: Yeah. All right, let's move to the watch list. What you got? Watch list. Yep, yeah, I had some time this week, so I powered through uh, a couple of series on Netflix, which I enjoyed. So I watched Human Resources. We talked about this one in previous episodes. This is the spin-off from Big Mouth, uh, one of my favorite shows on, on Netflix. Uh, Human Resources focuses on the place where all the monsters that uh, visit the kids in, in Big Mouth live and work and uh, about sort of their dynamics. So it's they make a joke in the first, like, in the very first part of the very first scene, of the very first episode, so there's not really a spoiler, but they, they basically say, you know, it's The Office meets Big Mouth. That's essentially what it is. It's sort of a workplace comedy uh, within that same parameters that you already know if you've watched Big Mouth. It took a little bit. It took me a couple episodes to sort of get into the swing of it. They introduced a few new characters um, with some good good voice cast. Adie Bryant plays the star. Eddie Bryant, of course, from Saturday Night Live and, and Shrill, uh, for those of you who have seen that show. And... Um, Uh, Oh God! What's his name? Randall Park. Uh, Randall Park, who of course is on, he was on One Division. He was on um, Brush Off the Boat for years and years and years. He's a great actor. Um, Always Be My Maybe, I think, is the movie that was on Netflix with. um ali wong that he was in who's also really good in um so they added a few new characters they brought back some characters you know so of course you know some of the some of the hormone monsters and the the shame wizard and and um you know depression kitty and all these characters that you're familiar with if you've watched big mouth uh and it's good it took me a couple episodes to get into it there's just sort of figuring out the dynamics and the characters and you know there are a couple cameos in the season with um with characters that you're familiar with from from Big Mouth that really kind of does its own thing and they introduce some new human characters they interact with uh, and just like Big Mouth it's it's both ridiculously vulgar and over the top and also at, at times extremely sweet and poignant and and quite quite lovely and and, and human um they really are a very, very talented writing crew and, and cast to both show you these absolute moments of ridiculous absurdity. And also, you know, there are times where it's really quite beautiful and touching. So, uh, again, huge shout out to them for, for the range that they can put into the show, but it's 10 episodes. The episodes are, you know, whatever, 25 minutes a piece. It's a pretty breezy little watch, definitely something you can just sort of chuck on. Um, And lots and lots of funny gags, lots and lots of just silly, stupid, over-the-top stuff that you can really enjoy. So, yeah, definitely. If you like Big Mouth at all, or you're just looking for a laugh, definitely check out Human Resources. The other show I watched was Disenchantment. So, part four, or season four of Disenchantment, dropped as well on Netflix recently. Um... This series, I like a lot. I like the characters. Um, I like Abby Jacobson. I like um, Eric Andre. I like the cast. I like the writing. I like that it's it's just a notch further into the adult beyond Futurama. It's like it's, it's a little more sort of... Um, um, yeah, just a little, little slightly bit edgier than that. A little more drink, drinking, drugs, you know, sex, humor, stuff like that. It's, it's certainly not big mouth or human resources, but it's a little bit further along on the on the spectrum. And uh, this season, really, like this series is funny. We talk about Star Trek. We talk about how Star Trek. Some of the best Star Trek is episodic. Some of the best Star Trek is continuous, telling one long narrative story over the course of the season. This is the fourth part. So this would be episodes 31 through 40 of this series. If you haven't watched from the beginning you're lost. And if you have Mm -hmm. watched from the beginning, you're still going to find yourself at times being like, oh, that's a reference to this thing from Season 3, but it's also a reference to this thing from Season 2, but it's also a reference to this thing from Season 1. Like, they are telling one long, continuous story. And they don't give you catch-ups, they don't give you a previously on, they don't give you anything to sort of service that. So if you're coming into it and just starting from the beginning of Season 4, you will find yourself, and again, I have... A very good memory. I still found myself a couple of times thinking, okay, where did we leave this part? Who was that? And I had to remember to put all the dots back together on that stuff. So I'm going to say that if you are not somebody who has equipped with a very, very good memory, you may find yourself a little lost at times. It doesn't diminish the humor, but it does lessen the impact of some of the moments where you're like oh that's that character well when did we last see that character Well, what happened to them oh this person happened here like there's a and they've also at the end of like by the time we're out through season four there's characters upon sub characters upon sub characters upon sub characters it's a lot to take in so all that to say i dug it i really enjoyed it i always enjoy it but it's starting to get a little complicated and it still doesn't seem like it's hit a crescendo. It doesn't seem like we're near the end. It feels like it's still going to go for, I don't know how much longer, but it really feels like there's more to do. So maybe, dear Netflix, think about doing beginning of the episode recap so we remember where we left everybody.
2: Yeah, or at least like a a season
3: recap, which they sometimes do with series. Yeah, I checked to see if there was one, and, and there wasn't, or at least there wasn't when I started watching, because I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, maybe I should watch the season uh, three recap. That way I'll just remind myself where we left off. It's probably been over a year since the last one. I'll I'll do that. And I was like, oh, nope, there isn't one of those. And I was like, well, I could watch the entire season three first. I'm like, well, I don't really have time for that. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just sit down and get into it. But I did find myself a few times having to sort of go through the mental memory banks and try and piece together like how did they how how did things happen between that character and that character where did we leave them like it it's it's getting complex and and they've also expanded the universe it used to be really sort of focused on dreamland but now they've introduced steamland and they've introduced all these other supporting characters and yeah so there's, there's a lot of stuff going on cool yeah so Looking forward to it. Dig into it. I highly recommend <laughs> it, but uh, but be warned, it is uh, you'll it'll make you make you think a little more than
2: probably you were looking for going into a show like that. Cool, all right? Anybody got? I huh, couple items. Uh, one is a YouTube video entitled "The Star Wars Sequels: Disney's Anti Trilogy." Uh, it's about twenty five minutes. I don't know that I necessarily agree with all the conclusions, but I found the analysis of each individual movie was sort of anti the predecessor. So Force Awakens is anti the prequels in general. The Last Jedi is anti The Force Awakens. And then the mess that is Rise of Skywalker is anti The Last Jedi. And kind of an interesting way to to think about, you know, what were some of the flaws that we've, you know, covered on this show, sort of put a little bit more succinctly into why did it end up this way? You know, what is it that that causes us to feel uh, these certain ways around things?
1: Yeah, it looks interesting. I watched I watched a bit of it. Um, haven't got all the way through it, but yeah, it was a interesting take on on that. You know, on the whole sort of where do where do these movies fit and how, you know, like the whole thing about the Force Awakens being super fan servicey, right? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there could even be like a follow up of you know why does something like the Mandalorian work so well? And I think it's because it is very inclusive of Pretty much all of Star Wars, right? It's like, hey, this stuff from the yeah. prequels, that's in here. Hey, this thing from the sequels, you know, that's in here too. Um, and, and the and cartoons, at that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I think there's um, hopefully a, a path forward here from, like you'd almost want this video to be sent to the powers that be at Disney It'd be like, hey, here are the issues. And then here's the things that are great about stuff like uh, the TV series and, and see if they can find a happy medium if they ever decide to revisit the the large film franchise of star wars yeah i like these analysis
1: analysis style videos that people do you know when they sort of almost like they're doing a thesis on something that's been bugging them for a while right
2: yeah i've never attended film school but i assume you have to do stuff like this when you're uh, yeah when you're learning how to do you know film school yeah. stuff Yeah. and what else you got The other thing I've got, and and the reason it's on the watch list is because I sort of assumed you gentlemen would not have seen Halo, which is a Paramount Plus exclusive, apparently even in Canada. And since you all, you know, your socialized sci-fi means you do get Star Trek stuff. You've not had to to fork out the monies, the toonies for for Paramount (laughs) Plus, (laughs) right? So um, I I ended up watching the first episode. I I will say I'm coming at this from somebody who's played the games, uh, at least the first three. Um, Halo Two, I one, two, and three. I'm not super hardcore into the lore, so stuff where this diverges from the lore is is not going to to impact me so much. Um, I thought the first episode was pretty fun. Um, it is definitely uh, more mature focused. You have teenagers in the first ten minutes getting blown away, and uh, there there is like no holding back on that. the mm-hmm. the um, The setting is kind of interesting that. It takes place a bit before where the original Halo game started. It's um, set in an era where um, humanity has colonized different worlds, as often happens. Those colonies are like, hey, we don't want to have fealty to you anymore, and empires and colonies, etc., etc. The humans are basically already fighting each other when we start the story, and then, oh no, here comes the hypothetically unifying threat of the covenant, the aliens who are even worse. Um, and, and seeing the, the, the heroes from, from the first game, the, the Spartans, and especially Master Chief, viewed as from the colonists and rebels standpoint of like, these are horrific monsters. Uh, I can't believe they're here to help us. It doesn't feel like they're here to help us, right? It's like, it's like having a wolf join you to fight a bear kind of thing right that sort of the idea so that that part is pretty cool the budget is i feel like it's pretty good but i know that people are going to complain about it because it's um i don't think it's going to look as good when you compare it to something like star trek discovery and i think the reason is not because there's less budget uh, although i've not fact checked the budget i think it's because something like star trek discovery has more areas where they can do cheap stuff right like okay We've had a sequence of pew pew pews and and we've had Saru hanging around. Let's have Michael and Buck talk for like ten minutes to to make things up. Whereas in Halo or put in a wasteful primal scream scene. Yeah, yeah, and and they can reuse like beautifully made sets. Yes, obviously it takes a lot of money to make the the Discoveries bridge, but then you only make it the once, and then you can just keep reusing it, right? Here in Halo, at least from this first episode, I'm like, man, that's a lot of like one-off stuff <laughs> that I don't know that you're going to use again. And so they got it. And, and the main character is like constantly in the suit and he constantly has to look, you know, a lot bigger than everybody else. So it's kind of like you, you take even the same amount of budget and you got to peanut butter it over the same amount of episodes, but you have a harder time doing the really cheap stuff. It makes me think that, you know, they're, they're going to have to to stretch the budget in some places. And that's going to necessarily make it feel like, less than a movie but it's by no means a cw show right so i mentioned supergirl fan i knew every time they had supergirl do something cool for every minute that supergirl's powers were active you need at least five to ten minutes of you know talky talk stuff that's cheap yep halo uh, can't quite get away with that aspect because of just the nature of the story um so I, all in all i was pretty excited i'll continue to watch this i don't know that it's a high enough recommendation for me to tell you gentlemen to like oh yeah you should definitely subscribe to paramount plus except for after it ends and then binge it all i think
3: yeah i i, I think this is i'll file this one to the same category that uh that you found so many other things jaime which is inevitably when we need the service i will take the time to watch it i don't know that i'll run out and
2: buy the service just to get it though yeah yeah i don't think it's a yeah like clearly microsoft is meaning this to be like a marquee kind of thing Um, Mm -hmm. without getting too spoilery. I feel like they're trying to make it like a Mandalorian kind of thing is what I, I sort of got the sense. Mm. Um, It's got its own. um, Do we see uh, the master chief with his mask off? We do, which I'm a little surprised they went that fast into it. I I kind of thought it'd be like the Mandalorian where it'd be well into season before you'd have that, but uh, they do. They show uh, Canada's half own Schreiber. I think his name is Pablo Schreiber.
3: Pablo Schreiber, yeah, yeah. He's a yeah. big dude. Makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. All right. So for me, oh my God, Rebels is so good. <laughs> um, wait, yeah, wait a minute. Sorry, you start... can you repeat that? <laughs> I said Rebels is so good. Um, I saw Dave Filoni speak at WWC when when he just started working on this uh, series, and. um yeah, just, you know, of course I had to get through all the Clone Wars and the the movie. Actually, it's funny, I had seen the movie before. It was so bad I'd forgotten. Oh, it's for the best, um, yeah. Yeah, because cause the the cousin of um, Jabba the Hutt. Oh, Zero, Hutt, whatever, yeah, Zero the Hutt, yeah. Is, is he in Clone Wars again yeah yeah, because
3: there's the whole plot line uh, where he's in jail as a result of that story and yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, so i so i I do I did remember seeing I did remember his his that particular character is hard to forget he sounds like a human Capote he sounds guy, exactly
3: right? like Truman Capote,
1: yeah, so that that's why I recognized as soon as I got to him, I realized, oh, I have seen this movie before yeah. um and and Ahsoka's really young in that one yeah' but anyways, it's just to be like a
3: fourteen year old
1: but coming back to Rebels, um, it, well, and what was good about it was to sort of find out how she ends up with with uh, Anakin and, and uh, Obi Wan. But uh, Rebels is is really good. It's an interesting take. The animation style is really really good. It's sort of it's it's evolved away, from, you know, sort of up a notch from where Clone Wars leaves off, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. I mean, even when even though they did the last season of Clone Wars, they went back and did it right. They yep. they mimic the style. Yep. Um. Obviously, they had taken some of the polish from from Rebels, but it's really polished, really well. Well, looks good. Um, the story so far is is interesting. I'm only about three or four episodes in, but uh, yeah, definitely like uh, like, you know, it was worth the wait for sure. So definitely recommend Rebels if you haven't already seen it.
3: Right. Yeah, and it's gonna. It is a series that is in a very recognizable time frame. Like it. It really is part of the universe that seems familiar. It seems familiar if you're into Rogue One. It seems familiar if you're into the original trilogy. It is so much closer in the timeline to, to the original trilogy that it, it, you know, stormtroopers look like stormtroopers and tie fighters look like tie fighters. And, you know, like it, it really does sort of fit in your mind as part of the trilogy, original trilogy in a, in a satisfying way.
1: Yeah. And and you even have James Earl Jones at the very, very beginning of it. Right. So he hasn't come back yet, but yeah. And they, and they, they talk about Tarkin and you know, how he's sort of running scams and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, which is good, cool, and then uh, I, d- I did manage finally to get my hands on a copy of uh, No Time to Die, the the latest James Bond Daniel Craig uh, vehicle. And like most James Bond movies, it does not disappoint. Um, it, there were some obviously tele- Telegraph story points that I could, you know, I, I kind of got the sense they would, you know, he puts the one girl on the train and says, "You'll I'll never see you again." <laughs> yeah, sure, okay, famous last words, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the I mean the the the. The evil guy, the protagonist, wasn't so bad. I, I was a little worried about that particular portrayal because I like the actor um, in a lot of other things he's done, but uh, wasn't wasn't over the top. Um, I really liked the Blofeld dude. I forgot his name now. Christopher Waltz. Waltz or something like that. Yeah, Chris, Chris, um, he was Christoph, really Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz, Waltz. Yeah, and he was he was really good. And um, yeah, and 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 you know the the it's interesting because this this style of Bond. Um, you know, Dan, you know, right from the very first movie that Dan and Craig was in as as Bond, you know, he's sort of, you know, the rough and tumble, what do you call that, parkour where you, where you oh, jump yeah. from building to building? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, very much that style of of uh, fighting and, you know, like, and uh, man-on-man, hand-to-hand combat kind of style that, that he brought to this particular uh, character, which, you know, all the other guys before were a little worried about messing up their suits, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he's not so much uh so it's it's interesting to see him you know in this portrayal um you know so uh, but but you know a typical james bond movie it has it has a big long adventure there's there's things that are introduced at the very beginning of the movie that come around in the end and typical you know kind of um spy crafty kind of things you know um so yeah really
3: enjoyable so i don't know did you enjoy it john i i did i uh... It's funny because most Bond movies where the actor playing Bond is leaving, it's not mm. as conclusionary. This was very much the first time for yeah. any of the Bonds that they they built their movies as sort of an arc. And they sort of told a sort of beginning to end kind of five movie mm-hmm. story that has a sort of beginning, middle, end. They've never done that before. And so this being the sort of ending chapter, I... Did find it a little paint by numbers, and you know, I know your criticism that mm-hmm. you constantly go to for for um, Star Wars Episode okay. Three is that you know that yep. the last half an hour where it's like, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, and then we're going to, then Leia gets dropped off here, and Luke gets dropped off here, and it sort of paint by numbers. I felt like that was a little bit how we were going at it at times in this movie where it felt like they were sort of hitting a checklist of, well, we don't need that character anymore so we can just kill them off here. And we don't need to, you know, build on this anymore because he's not going to have to worry about that. And it just, to me, it took a little bit of the fun out of it. It really felt, I think that's what my only really strong objection to the whole fifth movie for him was it felt a little joyless. Mm, Really? Mm. Now, Craig's Bond has been far less joyful than previous Bond excursions. He's he's not as, it's it's always, it's obviously, it was the Bourne influence. It was the Jason Bourne movies spun in between the Pierce Brosnan and the Daniel Craig's were the, were the Bourne movies. And the Bourne movies informed this in a way of being a little grittier, being a little more physical, being a little dirtier. But there's still been, you know, Daniel Craig's very charming and he, you know, he flirts well. And so some of that stuff was still mixed into some of this stuff. but. This one felt, you know, between the the relationship with his, you know, the Bond girl, and you know the relationships with his his work, and it, it all just felt really dour, and and that just, I didn't find myself just enjoying the characters maybe as maybe as I had in the past, just because it felt a little bit more, just sort of all heading towards an inevitable conclusion. I don't know.
1: So do you think the 007 character though is she do you think she's going to come back as as a bond or or is that just sort of a, I don't
3: a I don't think so. I I, I I don't know. I mean, I'll be really curious. It would be a really bold move to just pick up the story after no time to die mm-hmm. and try and do something different. I suspect that what they'll probably do is start from a different point in in time. And mm-hmm. approach it from a completely different angle and, and like with so many bronze iterations previous to this, you can enjoy them all separately, but don't bother trying to find the connections between them because they're really well,
1: And he's not he's not like the doctor, he can't regenerate, you know. Well that's kind of it, right? So Spoilers.
3: Yeah, so it's it's <laughs> not um I don't think I mean, Lashana Lynch is gonna come back as 007, uh right. you know. In the next Money Penny, might as well. She, she
1: wasn't the original Money Penny in the first Craig movie, though, was she? Uh, she's been the only Money
3: Penny that they've had. They didn't introduce her until the second movie, and then okay, okay. or the third. Uh, and then refines as as M and. Yeah. Yeah, But then again, that has a natural storyline. If you watch all those movies between the transition between the two M's and yeah, I I don't know. I'll be really curious if they, to see if they carry them forward, Ben Winshaw as as Q, if they, if, um, if any of that stuff is, is sort of carried forward or if they just burn it all down and start from scratch with a new, a new bond and everything else was judy dench uh
1: q during or m during um pierce brosnan um, she was yes oh she was okay
3: yeah she was she was m for all of those plus all of daniel well all of half of the daniel craig's spoilers yeah exactly and and voldemort is pretty typically voldemortish yeah ray fines is (laughs) he's fine I mean, have you seen this movie, sir? So we we're talking in circles around it, but...
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I have. And I guess spoilers for the credits, it says uh, James Bond will return, so... Exactly, Don't, yeah. don't I mean, worry, folks. They're, it's been around for
1: 50-plus years. It's not going anywhere. Well, that's why I made the doctor joke, because that's been around 50 years, too, right? So
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't decide what would be a more satisfying next iteration to, to start from a completely different point or to try and actually pick it up from a different thing where they're like, you know, hey, congratulations, agent. By the way, your name is now James Bond. You are 007. Off you go.
1: They brought the Austin Martin back, too, which was kind of a a throwback to uh, to Sean Connery as well, right?
3: Well, but they brought it back because they originally brought it back for Skyfall, and then they, mm. they destroyed it in Skyfall, and then it apparently took the time between Skyfall ending and uh all of the last movie plus part of this movie to get it repaired although it blew up in skyfall so well did you did you see the like i I, the 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 blu-ray just started
1: the or the 4k whatever just started playing um the behind the scenes stuff when the movie was finished Mm -hmm. after the titles ended right and they had 10 of them did you see that uh, no. 10 of these cars, they had, they had like three actual ones. They had one that was the beauty shot for whenever he was getting in and out of it. And then they had a bunch of replicas made up, huh. you know, which is really kind of cool. Like the, you know, the one with the bullet, bullet ridden one and the one with the Gatling guns, you know, and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I remember the Gatling guns from the sixties movie though, but there was a gun in the front. I remember that. was that, that wasn't Goldfinger. Was it Gatling guns? Wasn't that? The- no, no. I mean, the, no, I mean the, the Austin Martin when, when Sean Connery drove it. Oh, no,
3: that was Dr. No. It was the first one, wasn't it? Dr. No, right, yeah. Yeah, I
2: I thought it started Um, there, and they had the, was it uh, the BMW uh, license during the Boston era?
1: They did, yeah. Yeah. No, but the one with the ejector seat, was that the first movie? Yep. Okay, cool. Hmm. I guess that's it for another week. So I guess people can get in touch with you, Jonathan. Where would they find you?
2: You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPKNews. And how many people can get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at DevTheHare
1: all right once again my name is tim Mitra. t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a is how you spell it on in the internet machine twitter thing twitterverse twitter i don't know twitter twitter machine twitter machine <laughs> anyway try not to ad lib tim um yeah so until next time we'll see you in the future bye or maybe in the past we're not sure <laughs>
0: okay bye 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 you've been listening to the Spockcast podcast this is john luke picard shut up wesley You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcastcom slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future.
3: honest i'm a little disappointed you haven't done the richard pryor superman 3 shave up percentage of a penny get it deposited into your swiss account uh racket i really feel like that's a missed opportunity how do you know that would happen? well you know that you haven't looped me in on it then i think is my disappointment oh.
2: <laughs> the plot line's so nice they used it twice because it's yeah. the same yeah, plot line I, for office space right so, that's right is, yeah
3: yep but they do call it out at least they give them credit
2: yeah it becomes an homage at that
1: point yeah Oh, they talk about it, they. They mentioned that at Superman, or yeah, Superman they're like,
3: 3? didn't you see Superman three?
1: Yeah. Well, do you know? Do you know? Do you, do you know why they put ridges on on the edge of a quarter and dimes? For blind people. No, it's for exactly that reason. They can tell whether it's been shaved off or not.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, they stopped using actual silver in uh, those coins and nickel in nickels. Yeah. Like how many years ago? Thirty-five. Oh, are you
1: sitting
2: down? Yeah. How many? How many pennies do you have in your pocket right now? I generally don't have. Cash. Anyway. But I do actually have a little cash thing here that has uh, uh I think two 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 penny two pennies, um I don't know, probably five quarters, a couple nickels and a couple of tokens to like a chucky e. cheese or something, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well that's all on this little So cuff. the
1: thing about the U the US penny is it costs about two and a half cents to make a penny.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm like that's just dumb. <laughs> wow, Jim, we 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 splurge on things in the US of A. Let me tell you about, <laughs> about an apocryphal story given that we're in a, in a wartime kind of era so yeah this apocryphal story says that uh, some Japanese commander during World War II realized how hosed they were when they said what is that ship as part of the convoy for the US battleships. They're like, "Oh, yeah. Uh that's the ship that has all the ice cream because we don't let our sailors drink so to keep morale up we use ice cream as a as a treat And he's like you have an entire ship just for ice cream <laughs> so pennies tim pennies tim are are a luxury we, we continue to, to keep around yeah it's like the apple
3: apple displays right <laughs> anyway that's funny that's funny all right all right, I have a follow-up. I wanted to ask this last week, but we were going so damn long, I didn't want to throw it into a very long episode. But now I can throw it in. Jaime, we are now more than, uh, more than three-quarters of the way through the NHL season. Uh, we got our first trade between the Seattle Kraken and Toronto Maple Leafs this week. But beyond that, we also got, uh, we've got the Seattle Kraken hanging out at second worst in the entire league. How is the vibe in Seattle? given that their first season is more of a traditional expansion team route which is to say pretty disorganized a little sloppy and building clearly for
2: the future yeah it's it's something i can contrast with the seattle sounders who started you know a, a little over a decade ago mm. where fr- right out of the gate the sounders were good and um the, the city was really you know jazzed up for them i think the you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> I, I thought they were last in, league. Like, apparently the, the coyotes are a little worse.
3: No, no, Canadians, uh, the Montreal Canadians. As are of, you serious? In, as oh, of yesterday, the, the Canadians conference. were dead last, which truly before? brings me a joy like I cannot describe.
2: Yeah, okay, so it, it's so um, dampened here. Like, you do see people with gear. You do see the gear at the, you know, various stores and stuff, but I don't hear people really um, buzzing about it. Um, And it's kind of unfortunate, like I, you know, having seen their games, like I still don't know what defense looks like from the Seattle Kraken standpoint, it appears to be (laughs) we're going to score a lot of goals no matter what and just hope that the other team just misses. Right. Like they they have what appears to be, you know, an empty net strategy for the entire season. (laughs) So they're like, oh, we're trading this defender. I'm like, good (laughs) because they suck. Like Keep all the guys who can make goals and then just get rid of anybody who's, who's got defense in their, you know, in their job description because we were just terrible at defense. Um, can I do the differential, uh, so points for or goals for goals against, you know, um, looking at records here, like, you know, 228 goals, uh, sorry, 168 goals for is, is not shabby. Um, it's not league leading by any means, but not shabby. But when you're when you're giving up 228, <laughs> I'm like, <Yeah>. oh, man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that's, too many that's not you teams giving up that many, you know, so um, fans here to, to sort of wrap it up are way more interested in the Sounder season that has started. And the thankfully oh. they're not locked out anymore. Major League Baseball season to to watch the Mariners you know bad news bears their way to another, another season <laughs> uh, i would have uh, i would have
3: thought that uh, all the talk this week would have been about uh the the seahawks trading their quarterback that that would have been like, oh the no that, that, that was
2: of. that was drama a couple weeks ago um oh. with all the memes from um castaway with <laughs> well Wilson. <laughs> yeah, with people photoshopping uh, Pete Carroll's <laughs> head onto uh, Tom Hanks and <laughs> Russell Wilson's head onto the volleyball oh my god that's um, funny yeah so you know people still talk about it here in sports radio of like you know what, what's going on with the Seahawks are are they blowing up the team like what what's what exactly is going on we got a lot of draft picks um people are starting to wonder hey okay so Deshaun Watson for all of his uh, uh, sexual-related drama oh, um, yeah. ended up not going to the Seahawks. So maybe, and this is fan-based, not based on anything like Baker Kaepernick. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield might be realistic, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Kaepernick, I mean, why not? Why not uh, take a chance? If, if mean, you were down for Deshaun Watson, you absolutely should be down for Kaepernick from a, a you know, not a skills standpoint, but from a controversy standpoint.
3: Yeah, I, I I still think you're you're better off making a, a small trade. And at this point, you can get uh, Baker Mayfield for pennies on the dollar. But th- yeah, that that one still kind of uh, baffles me a little bit the uh, the way that those ones have worked out. But I mean, it was probably time for Wilson to go. But yeah, it's, I mean that AFC West now is terrifying. But you know, on behalf of the the local football fans, most of whom I am not, most of whom are uh, Bills fans. The Bills are like doing a jig now because the uh, AFC West is going to beat the living tar out of each other, and then uh, <laughs> the Bills get to play what's left over.
1: Wow! Well, so I have a question. I'm confused. What is, what do they call it? The March Madness thing? The Final Four? What's it called? The uh, NCAA
3: basketball men's basketball tournament. That is what it's for, Final Four? Mm-hmm. What's called?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I was watching a bit of the game just before we started the recording here. The Arkansas Hogs or something like that versus some other team. Um, and it said second, and they were playing like they were playing the last fifteen seconds. But
2: it said uh, like, do they do overtime or something like that? Like, yes, it's 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 four an, periods, it's, right? It's a knockout. Um, it's a knockout tournament, so there's no there's yep. no draws or ties. Yep. So they play four periods, and then they have or whatever two
1: halves. What is it? Uh, I mean, the, the, the NBA two plays per-
2: two Yeah, yeah. If you're college basketball plays two halves. Yeah. The NBA plays oh, okay. four quarters. Oh, I see. So the second
1: half, so are they like 15, like, oh, you mean like they play like 30 minute half, half a uh, period or whatever? Boom. I'm No, not they're not playing
3: 48 minutes. They're playing 20 minute halves, I think. Two 20 yeah, minute I halves. Think
1: oh, so. so, okay. So the end of the second is the end of the game. Yeah. Cause they, cause they were like, you know, the, the, the team that was, was below, below the Arkansas team was trying to get back up again and they got a bad call and blah, blah, blah. But man, those those kids sure can do free throws. Like, not like I find that I don't know. Any, anytime I ever watch the NBA, they just can't seem to throw three throws. Three throws. Three. Three
3: throws. Three throws. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Zags went down tonight too. That's um, that's pretty funny. The um, Gonzaga, which was one of the favorites going in, this has been a, a whole mm-hmm. thing full of upsets. But uh, yeah, the Zags got knocked out tonight too. So. Mm-hmm. Going to be an interesting Final Four. Definitely, uh, I think there was a great one from ESPN the other day. They were saying after the after the second round of action of the like seven million entries into the contest for picking the right picking the, the right bracket, every single one of them was eliminated. Like no one, no mm-hmm. one was going to have, have have the the guesses right. Not not one single person out of the millions of people that that uh, cast a ballot because. There have been so many upsets and unpredictable things happening. Yep. I'm trying to write some
2: notes here to help you out, Tim. Give me a sec.
1: Oh, no, it's, trust me, like, this this will leave my brain after this episode's over and I'll never think about it again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I often
1: think about you when I see goaltenders getting scored uh, on, though. He he <laughs> empty net syndrome, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I've never heard it played that way, yeah.
3: I'm going to paste into the, uh, into our Slack A clip from tonight's uh, Canada versus Costa Rica World Cup qualifying match. So Canada is in Costa Rica, which is a tough place to play in spite of the fact that they're not like an an elite talent. If Canada wins tonight, they could clinch a spot in the World Cup for the first time in more than 30 years. And uh, Canada is now playing the entire second half a man down based on... call and you'll see what precipitated the call in the little video clip that I just put in there and it makes me want to throw my phone for distance. My. It's a typical soccer call. Basically, one, the, one of the Canadian guys got a yellow card early. And then later on, he walks by one of the other players on Costa Rica. And the guy in Costa Rica grabs his face, falls down, and just starts writhing from like no contact. They he literally did not touch his face. And the guy is in so much pain that he does that. The Canadian player got assessed another yellow card and got kicked out of the game. So they're a man down for the entire second half because of this nonsensical uh wow call but oh my god soccer sometimes i'm like i enjoy soccer when it's played well but this stuff <laughs> just makes me hate the sport with such a deep 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 hatred um Honestly, yeah. I, I was thinking today could be like the best soccer day I've had since uh, since Germany won the World Cup a few years back because Canada could qualify for the World Cup and the Italians got eliminated from the World Cup earlier today, which is awesome because I cannot stand the Italian soccer team because uh, as anyone who is a fan of the German squad knows, A, they own the German squad, which sucks, but they also are a nick- they're affectionately nicknamed the Italian national diving team because they are so... Unscrupulous that they spend more game on their sides rolling around pretending to be injured than they do actually trying to score. So,
2: hmm. yeah, I think that there's some stuff that could be done to reduce the the flopping like that. Like it's hard to do it without slowing down the game. So you probably want to start out with anything that's going to re- uh, result in a card. Yeah, uh, so not normal fouls, but I think like the situation described. Oh, we're going to give this guy a card. i was like, let's look at the replay. Oh, yep. actually, it's the other guy, and for faking it, it's an automatic red card. Yep, right. Yep. So now you've you've no longer incentivized people to to do it in that sort of way. Yep. Would help, I think. Because let me tell you, like you're talking about the men's game. Men's game is like this for reasons that do not make sense to me. The women's game is not like this. They do not. No, like, the women's games are whistle. fantastic. The women's they, games they are fantastic. bloody each other. It is it is murder out there, and I don't understand yeah. why that is so different.
3: It's so funny because women's soccer and women's rugby are two of my favorite things to watch. They are so competitive and there's such exciting competition. I love it. I love it at the highest level. But I cannot stand women's high-level hockey because they don't let them hit each other i don't understand Mm. like women aren't delicate flowers this is nonsensical just let them play the game i want to see the canadian girls go out there and just run the american women into the boards like come on like what's the rationale that that the women can't handle the impact of another woman to the boards like that's nonsensical (sighs) Honestly, the dirtiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life up close, I used to be a photojournalist, as you'll recall, and the dirtiest thing I've ever seen up close was was provincial level women's soccer, or not women's soccer, women's rugby. I watched a woman go to tackle another woman and literally put her hand on the back of the other woman's head and ride her like a surfboard up the field and ran her face into the ground for like five feet. It was so violent. I could not get over it, and I know that's exactly what happened because I happened to photograph the entire sequence, so you can literally see. it's like comes up behind her, grabs her, grabs the back of her head, puts her knee into her back, puts her face into the ground, and surfboards her up
2: the field. It's crazy. It's crazy how violent that sport is. Crazy. Tim, looping back here, so I threw in... You're not going to find this on Wikipedia. This is my own sort of rough notes for you on... The NCAA uh, basketball tournament is 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 the tourney, right? It's the thing that people are doing all of the the brackets for. That's approximately equal to March Madness. March Madness is more like the 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 spirit of the season when you go into the tournament because it's so long in terms of how much time it takes. Um, it, there are when you look it up. Technically seven rounds. This bothers me <laughs> yeah. for somebody who's like, well, I remember back in the days when it was sixty four teams that made it to the tournament, and then they sort of squeezed and say it's sixty four ish. There's a you know there's a sixty fifth team that plays the sixty fourth before the tournament, and then they they kind of like that and they extended it out. It's technically sixty eight in the zeroth round. I'm calling it. This is like the the extra play ins because you know there's a lot of money here, so they, they, they squeezed in some extra stuff. 68 teams in the zeroth round. The traditional first round is 64. The second round is 32. The third round is the Sweet 16. The fourth round is the Elite 8. The fifth round is the semifinals with four teams, and then the finals with two teams. So it's you know divisible by two because you have a guarantee of one winner in this knockout tournament. There's no uh, round robin or anything like that, like the World Cup or etc. No, no ties, no draws. Win or go home. Sure.
3: And it's, and again, it's without fail, it's really fun because those kids are playing their guts out in a way that professional players really only reserve for like important playoff games. So they are just going so fast, so hard, competing so hard, and it's their emotions are just bubbling to the surface. So it's very dramatic and really fun to watch if you're a sports fan. But, Mm. uh, it, that also makes it, so, it that level of intensity also makes it look really hard like some of these student athletes this is, is like this is the the apex of their athletic careers they're not going to go to the nba they're not going to go play in europe this is sort of the best it's going to get and for some of them it's crushing like this is going to be the thing that like wakes them up, up in a cold sweat for the rest of their lives and stuff so it's it's pretty intense
2: yeah it, it's kind of interesting to see how different sports handle their their minor leagues um It was a shock to me, maybe 15, 16 years ago. I I still barely know anything about hockey as it is, but the minor league hockey team, the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds, I went to one of their games, one of the first years I was here in Seattle, uh, moved to Seattle. And I remember looking at them and being like, are these like kids? (laughs) I kind of expected them to be, you know, college age, roughly. Um, You know, like if you didn't go to college for hockey, you know, uh, uh, playing like maybe you you played this sort of thing. So I thought it'd be kind of more like like college basketball is essentially the the minor leagues for the NBA or college football is essentially the minor leagues for the NFL. Um, And it turns out, no, actually, hockey is way more like Major League Baseball, where there are tons of different minor leagues and they really are like dang kids when they start playing uh, ostensibly professionally for for their NHL team. Uh, yeah it, it I mean between, teams. Yeah, between the the pressures for
3: kids i mean the pressure starts for them when they're in their you know tween years to sort of start to rise above the crowd if they want to get noticed to go play in uh in the major junior leagues across north america and then from there it goes up another notch to got to get the attention of the of the nhl scouts and if you're not going to get those you got to try to get the attention of the U.S. college scouts, because you can still get a scholarship and go play for Michigan or, you know, UMass or one of those places that's like, you know, Minnesota, places that are like real real hockey schools and get your education paid for. Uh, or, again, beyond that, it's, you know, maybe I can get a chance to go catch on in any number of leagues around the world that are that are willing to pay people to play hockey, but um, yeah it's 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 quite a competitive system from like twelve up, and you can get paid to play hockey starting at fifteen, which is maybe just a scotch wrong like that's a lot of pressure to put on kids
1: yep and just the same in the states with football and basketball hundred
3: percent oh, yeah
2: yeah it, it's just a i guess soccer's another one where they start out pretty young where you mm-hmm. if you're like not in an elite academy by like thirteen fourteen you're probably not going to play professionally. Uh, in like the EPL. Um, but but college football and um, college basketball are, yes, you would kind of expect that prior to that, you probably went to like a pretty top tier, well-known school, that uh, high school that uh, did that. And you probably would in the modern era be started to be scouted around middle school, but that's more like scouted and less you're straight up part of this team. And here you go. Let's send you off to this affiliate in San Diego or Milwaukee or something. Mm, it's, mm-hmm. um, I had to analogize it in my head. Like, oh, I understand how baseball works. I guess that's how hockey works, too. But I didn't know that casually going. Oh, these are going to be like grown men playing hockey right (laughs) so what is this is this like the in-between periods thing where the the little kids play oh no wait these are the players okay got it it. (laughs) well and it's it's truly different too
3: because they um the way that they've Because it is a fully salary-capped league, unlike baseball and – I mean, football is a salary cap, give me a break. Baseball is a salary cap, give me a break. Um, But it's it's not even a soft cap like they have in the NBA where you can go over it and pay a tax. There is no tax in the NHL. If you go over the salary cap, you forfeit games. So there's no wiggle room on salary. And in order to circumvent that, when they put the hard cap in 15 years ago and they started doing that, what that's led to over the last decade and a half is – You need to have a good draft system, bring in young players and put them in the lineup at 18, 19, 20 years old when they're making the least amount of money that they're allowed to be paid so that you can pay the more established players the salary that they need in order to be satisfied. But also that means that the older players, which used to, there was a stretch there where we were getting players playing well into their 40s and and beyond, and, and not a small number of them now, older players are really the exception because... They just can't afford them unless they're going to sign to like really cheap contracts. And that's usually what happens is you basically you start getting paid a little bit compared to, you know, your age and experience. You get good. You get paid in your sort of prime years. And then if you want to stick around in the league, you start signing like one year, one million dollar, one year, two million dollar contracts, because that's the only way to stick around, because nobody wants to commit to term and money to those players, because... They can't afford it with the salary cap being so restrictive. So it really has changed the game. It's made it a lot younger, a lot faster, but it also has a sense of impermanence too. Like I find hockey now, like I haven't been following it as religiously the last number of years, just because of a number of factors. But this is the most disconnected I've felt to the league in a long time, as far as I don't know who half these guys are anymore. And I used to be able to encyclopedically tell you the top 10 guys on any team Now they change so fast and they're just bringing in more and more new young players to try and keep the the cap low. I I can't, I can't keep up anymore and I just, and I don't care enough to, to do so.
2: I'm kind of a fan of the, the NFL's model where it has a hard salary cap that ye verily no team shall go over, but it avoids the problems of uh, let's say like baseball where you can't be a cheap owner where the entire, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates team makes less than like Jason Giambi for the New York yeah. Yankees sort of thing. Like there is a hard salary floor and True. it's not too far off of the salary cap. Like, you know, you're, you're kind of incentivized to win because guess what? You're paying almost as much <laughs> as an owner, uh, sucking and losing all your games as you are winning all your games and winning the Super Bowl. right? Like you, you might as well. Actually, try. Uh, it does mean that there is a lot of back and forth between kind of want to win a Super Bowl while your quarterback is on his rookie cheap contract and not on his. Oh no, he's a Pro Bowler now. He's kind of costing a lot of money, kind of thing. Um, so I, I feel like that's something I'd like to see the various leagues do: a hard salary know, cap, hard salary floor, and don't make them too far away from each other.
3: But the only reason that that works in the NFL is because the NFL is the only league that has non-guaranteed contracts. That's the only re- the only way that that works is you can basically you you have to pay people signing bonuses, but the bonuses don't always count against the cap, and then you can cut them if they get hurt, which is despicable and loathsome, and one of the reasons why I despise American football. But that's one of the huge advantages that they have is that they basically they broke the union into tiny little pieces 30 years ago and the unions never rebounded from that. So they have non-guaranteed contracts. So you can sign up $300 million contract as a star quarterback and you can say, I want X number of dollars up front. But if you blow out your knee, they can cut you and then you don't get that money. And that's yeah. Bloody awful is what that is. That's inhumane. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of racist. So
2: like, yeah, that's why you see a lot of um, analysis after the headlines in the modern NFL for the very reasons you talked about. We're like, oh, so-and-so signed for X million dollars over how many years? People are like, what's the real contract? What's the guarantee? What's the guaranteed amount? The guaranteed upfront and then... At what point of like, "Mm, yeah, it's like a five year deal, but really it's like a four year deal with an extra thing for the team because they can remove him pretty easily after the fourth year, um, you know, if he's not producing and and give him less money um, or continue on to keep him. And for the player side, when they figured out the teams were doing this, their agents have generally gotten better about like, yeah, give me enough money that I can like retire comfortably sort of thing. Now, granted that's only for the, the the best of the best players the league minimums like 500k yep. um, which is a lot and the flip
3: side the of it is that the, the average lifespan of an NFL lineman is like 48 so live comfortably for the rest of my life is also a bit of a, a bit of a misnomer when it comes
2: to the NFL right yeah yeah it it's it's tough right? running backs don't last after 30 um quarterbacks can uh kickers can but the you're probably under 30 when you leave the NFL. Yeah. For most people.
3: Yeah. I think I read, and this one is a number of years back, but I think the average uh, career in the NFL was like less than three years. If you average them all out between the people who, you know, straggle and the people who succeed beyond that, it averages out to about three years. And yeah, You're right. And and in that course of time, they're making like a million, million and a half bucks. Well, that sounds great, except that, you know, I've made more than that in my career, too. So and I still have all my brain function and my knees work. So, you know, like it's not necessarily as glorious as it seems from the outside sometimes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, um, you know, People look at Tom Brady, and he's like unreasonably old to be playing in the NFL. Like he's just one of those one kind that most people don't make it. Again, you mentioned what three years, so these guys are normally coming out of college at twenty two. So he's like twenty five, twenty six when they're done with their career normally. Yeah. And uh, if you want the horrors of what can happen to you, I'm sure we could find this on YouTube somewhere. I, I watched the. Um, one of those uh, NFL documentaries or ESPN documentaries. Around the Jerome 30 for 30. Bet- there's, there's a great 30 for 30 about that. I don't know if we saw the same one, but what it, it stuck in my mind as a, as a young lad was seeing Jerome Bettis. This is like oh, the God, year yeah. uh, Pittsburgh Steeler, huge guy called The Bus from the Pittsburgh Steelers running back. And after he retired, after they won their Super Bowl um, they showed him getting like off the couch or out of bed and it looked like a nightmare. He's just knees and back are so busted up Yep, that, uh, you know, poor guy is pretty young too for having that sort of uh problem. And at least in his career,
3: he got to be a Pro Bowl or he got to be win a Super Bowl or two, you know, like that's the, endorsements a, and stuff, almost the yeah. best case scenario versus, you know, some of these guys who, you know, have their knees destroyed and spend the rest of their lives, you know, hobbling around or, or get so many concussions that, you know, they can barely count two plus two, you know, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough sport. It's a super, super tough sport. Yeah, there was uh I'm trying to trying to find it. There was a really good I don't know if it was the first sec- first or second season of 30 for 30. There's a really good one about uh one of the players who he was just he was supposed to be this incredible player and then he just he just it just never worked out for him because of different circumstances and it's just this incredible like everything that was supposed to be this incredible, you know, thing for this dude that just never Oh, here we go. Uh, Episode 29, The Best There Never Was, the 1981 recruiting of high school football player Marcus Dupree by multiple big-time college programs whose resulting injury-plown college and professional career and how his pursuit by college and USFL teams changed the recruiting process. It's really, really excellent. Where they basically they meet him now, and he like lives in like this little sort of tumble down house in like Nowhere'sville, somewhere in the south. And he's like, yeah, like I was the greatest thing. Everyone thought I was going to be like all these things, and then a couple injuries later, and you know, I live in a shack in the woods. <laughs> like it's
2: it's crazy that that's how thin the margin is. Yeah, that's the that that's the sad story. It's not like the one with. Um... Is it like American icon or something like that with uh, Kurt Warner's life? Where he was like, oh bag- yeah, I mean bag- yeah. bagging groceries and then hey, I'm winning a Super Bowl. Like it, it normally doesn't turn out like that.
3: Yeah, yeah, those make for great movies, but unfortunately, I think they're the exception, not the rule. Yeah, no, I found myself looking at the NHL standings the other day and thinking about your your Kraken. I, I looked in here; they're actually they're tied for uh, they're they're tied for uh, third. Uh, uh, they're two points up on Montreal and arizona who are tied for worst so they're, they're actually uh they're, they're sitting third worst in the league now so but moving up the
2: standings building on something for next year is <laughs> <It was, laughs> the positive way of, of looking
3: at it um, well and they did what every good expansion team does they basically they drafted a bunch of guys they basically looked at them decided who they wanted to keep they traded all the rest of them away at the trade deadline to teams who needed be, to be bolstered and then you take those draft picks and you take the prospects and you keep building until you finally do get the glue that starts to stick together. Um, I mean, they traded their captain, uh, Mark Giordano, to the Leafs the other day. And, and you know, he was, he's a perfect example. He's a perfect guy to draft because you know you're going to get some assets for him. Leafs traded a couple of draft picks and said, you know, yeah, we'll take him off your hands. And, you know, he fit the role nicely for, for 60 games as being the first ever captain of the Seattle Kraken. He'll be a trivia question for
2: years in Seattle bars. Just need some league average defense. I'm not even talking great. You know, that's like funny because that's what the Maple Leafs defense. <laughs> that's
3: what the Maple Leafs need too, unfortunately, this season. It's not uh, it's not working out so far. Hopefully Giordano can uh help a little bit because it's been a bit of a struggle. We've got the million dollar offense. Well, frankly, we've got the ten million dollar offense, but we don't have is the defense. But once again, we go into uh playoff bill saying a prayer that it somehow works out for us. Yep. Anywho, time to
1: pack it in, I think. Yep. Already. We've digressed into enough sports, sports enough. Ball. Enough sports ball. That's
2: right. Okay. Talk to All you right. later. See you next week, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. bye.